This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. everybody hello and welcome to the first ever episode 106 of the best seats podcast the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in orange county where the show is based to the rest of southern california and beyond each and every episode i'm your host croft mccarthy founder and principal of the best seats thank you as always to my friend ali coyle who provides the music for the show you can find more of her work at aliecoilmusic.com as a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feeds, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other folks discover it as well. There's been some really awesome reviews that have come in lately and so grateful for that. It really does help uh, kind of play around with those algorithms on free feeds like Spotify, Apple, etc., and push it into new audience members' feeds. Do not forget, you can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. You can check out the merchandise store. It is the holidays, at least at the time of this recording. And when this show comes out, you may be listening to it later, but that merchandise is still there. So be sure to check it out if you haven't yet. But do not forget, as always, the very best experience is only found over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats, where as little as two bucks a month gets you access to the exclusive bonus episode that goes along with each and every one of these um, dating back to the beginning of the year. I want to say it's like 30 or 40 of them at this point. It's been a really good amount and there's some really awesome bonus content in each and every one of those. But let's talk about this episode. I'm a huge fan of live entertainment. I'm always really, really, really grateful whenever there's live music at a restaurant, whenever I love going to see stand-up comedy shows. Um, live entertainment is something that we all desperately missed during the pandemic and was one of those things that we were so grateful to get back. We've touched on it a little bit in this show before, um, specifically with my friend Allie Coyle, who, like I said, does the music for it. She performs. And we did talk about that on her episode. But I haven't really had on musicians or comedians or people that generally you kind of see out and about performing. Um, I haven't had on magicians or kind of anything like that. A lot of those kind of entertainers, what they do is a little more self-explanatory compared to my guest for this episode. And that's not to say that a lot of work doesn't go into what they do, but when it comes to the world of burlesque, I had a lot of questions. So when I met my guest um, a couple of months ago, Alexa, AKA Miss Stilettos, I had lots of questions, but the hardest part about having them was I didn't want to ask them right then because I knew I wanted to get them on, on. I wanted to get her on the show so I could ask them here because no doubt you probably have a lot of the same questions. Uh, burlesque is a really cool thing. I think it's really beautiful. I think there's a lot that goes into it, but I also think that like kind of a lot of the more risque parts of entertainment like that, there might be some myths, some perceptions, some stereotypes, things that are just false for people that don't go out and see a lot of live performances like that. But I'm also curious, how do you find venues? How do you set this up with bars? Where do you perform? What are some of the logistics that go into planning a show? How big are these shows? How do you do the choreography? How do you make sure that the guests are entertained and people who are going out for a night out really, really, really want to be there and have a great time while being there? So we dive into a ton of different topics on this interview. Um, 
I'm a huge, huge fan of what she does. And I'm so grateful that she took the time to sit down and really, really shed a lot of light on what it means to run a burlesque production company. Um, not just giving lessons and not just the marketing and not just the choreography, but everything that goes into it. Um, I do want to say really, really quickly, I had one mic that has been acting a little bit naughty for a little while now. Um, there's a little bit of a mic pop around the nine minute mark. I'm doing my very best to edit it on the back end, but just apologies in advance. It has put in time out. It has been fixed. All that is good to go. So no more worrying about anything else because we got a lot to learn about in episode 106 of the Best Seats podcast featuring my friend Alexa, a.k.a. Miss Stilettos. Enjoy. All righty. Um, I'm beyond excited to sit down and talk. Obviously, this is a hospitality podcast, first and foremost. But as I kind of always say with every show, it is all things in and around hospitality. And a major part of hospitality is entertainment and entertaining people and putting on performances and things like that. But specifically, when it comes to the world of burlesque and what you do, I'm beyond excited to sit down and not just kind of learn about it, but unpack it and maybe get rid of some myths about it and things like that, but basically just learn what goes into it. But before we dive into the show, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of your background? Of course. Uh, my name is Alexa. My stage name is Miss Stilettos, and I am the founder and director of Stilettos and Striptease and the Stiletto Dolls Performance Company. Um, we are Orange County based, uh, but we get booked everywhere from LA, Orange County, San Diego, and sometimes even we get some requests for out of state. <laughs> so... <laughs> Before we dive into all the different things that I want to talk about and all the questions that I have, and I'm sure people listening have, how did you get into this world to begin with? So I started dancing when I was very little. I was about two. So traditional, you know, classically trained dancer, grew up doing all the styles, cross-trained. And um, I actually started doing burlesque when I was 18, just dying to get into it. I had a girlfriend who I was teaching with and um, she had started a burlesque company years ago and needed somebody to fill in. And um, that was my first experience with burlesque itself. And I just fell in love with it. I've always been a very sensual person and I love the body confidence and uh, performance aspect. You know, it really is exhilarating. So um, from there, I actually had opened a traditional dance studio here in Orange County, more of like the children through adults type thing. It was called Impulse Dance Center years ago. And um, a long windy road ended up after that selling that dance studio starting a special needs nonprofit for dance therapy and then in a roundabout way my heels class my students never wanted to give it up so we ended up kind of focusing on that one instead and turning it into what we have now that's really awesome i, I want to burlesque itself for people that may be listening that kind of have a concept of what it is maybe they're not fully kind of aware of what it is can you kind of give basically your kind of professional breakdown of what burlesque really is. Sure. And you know what, that's a great question because especially today, there's not a lot of people that really do understand what classic burlesque is. Um, even there was like a documentary uh, on one of the streaming services and it was like, oh, burlesque is just taking your clothes off. And I was like, no, it's not, you know, and um, burlesque, classic burlesque is a dance style. It has proper training. It has technique. Um, you know, it has its own body positions and prop work. You know, that's going to be everything from your classic strip tees to fan dancing, hats, canes, cabaret style. Um, you know, and it really has its own technique to it. Um, compared to other styles of dance, it has a, a bit more performance quality. Like I said, it does focus on strip tees and being sensual and that kind of thing, but it's not so much about just taking the clothes off, but it does allow for more creative space to be quirky, um, or be a little bit more outside the box than a more classical genre. So when it comes to performances and things like that, first of all, how big is 
like a burlesque group? I mean, when you go to a performance, you're going somewhere, how many people, how many dancers? So more traditionally these days, at least in this area, there's not many burlesque groups. Usually it's a burlesque company that hires individuals. Um, something that sets our group apart a little bit is that we are a troupe. So we do dance together as well as featured as soloists. So when it kind of bringing this back to, again, trying to keep within the realms of the podcast because it's hospitality based, I want to talk about kind of venues. When you go and you do a performance, first of all, I mean, you know, you kind of mentioned in the introduction that you're doing them all over the place. I mean, Long Beach, Los Angeles, you mentioned out of state. How do you go about a finding venues or do they come to you? And then what's the process like of setting up a show, like kind of start to actual performance? So it can go both ways. So there's a lot of venues, let's say, that are looking for entertainment, and it would be a similar situation as to hire a band. Um, you know, if they are familiar with us and our work and they'd like to book us, you know, they would go through our booking side of our company. And at that point, you know, it's a conversation about really tailoring the performance for what they're looking for. One thing that we do specifically is we never repeat events or shows. So everything is always custom made for that specific venue, for that specific style, theme, music, costume, choreography, everything is only ever one time. So if someone's looking to book us, we ultimately sit down and say, okay, how many girls are you looking for? Um, how many guys are you looking for? We also have males. Say, yeah, we do. Say, it's yes. not just It's not just women performing. You do have males as well. We do. And they are fantastic. We have some really masculine performers and we also have some more effeminate performers that would fall into like the more boylesque category versus a male dancer. Um, and we do cover kind of all genres with that. So you sit down, you kind of put together the show, the concept, things like that. How long does the process kind of start to finish? So honestly, the process, we've got it pretty dialed in now. It's about a three-week process, three okay. weeks to a month. And that goes from everything from ordering costumes, because we like to do everything brand new each time, uh, to creating the choreography, cutting the music, casting the dancers, yeah. dress rehearsal, pro promotional items, you know, and then uh, obviously the show. I mean, it's, it's the obligatory question of this podcast. It's kind of the inescapable one that I've asked everybody 100 plus episodes now, you know, how did kind of COVID affect them, change them. This podcast launched during COVID. Obviously things have changed a lot for someone who works in basically where you need an audience and you need venues, whether they be bars or specific venues like that to perform in. What was 2020 like for you and for the company? Honestly, I could not be more grateful. Um, we were so blessed and amazingly supported through COVID. I think it had a lot to do with people being trapped in their houses. And, um, you know, most of us gave, gained the COVID-19. Yeah, That's, yeah, guilty. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was that need to feel human connection and to feel a connection to yourself and get a little bit back of your normalcy and feel good, you know, and dance in any way. You know, I feel like, I know it's a hospitality-based uh, podcast, but it's like hospitality for yourself. You know, I always yeah. tell my students, like, it's like you want to date yourself. Take a look inside, you know, and see how you feel. Evaluate yourself. Make yourself feel good. Treat yourself, you know. And dance is a beautiful way to do that on its own. And burlesque is an even more empowering way to do that. So truthfully, we skyrocketed during COVID, um, from COVID to now, both in our classes programs and in our burlesque show side. So you mentioned the classes and obviously the burlesque show side. The Your company itself, it's not just burlesque. I mean, you're teaching kind of all different types. What, what do you actually teach at? basically your studio, what different types of performance kind of pieces do you go through? So we are um, offering currently, 
I think over 15 different types of dance styles and burlesque is actually only one of the classes. So we do everything from classical ballet, jazz tech, contemporary, musical theater, modern hip hop, uh, twerk, uh, heels, stiletto, chair class. We even do some musical theater, some tap, um, vocal lessons. Like we have honestly so I much. I have so many follow-up questions about the twerk class, but I don't think I have <laughs> enough space on this SD card to record all of them. The twerk class is great. <laughs> Um, when it comes to performances, you do have to travel for some of them. Is it because only kind of some venues fit your needs or do you find any kind of pushback in certain areas about where you can perform or things like that due to kind of the, the sensual nature of a burlesque show? So as far as the legality goes, usually burlesque is not all the time, you know, topless. We do usually prefer the pasty or the mm -hmm. fun tassels, you know, or in a, like a sexier side of things like the black X's are really taboo and fun. Yeah. But ultimately, as long as they have um, a liquor license, usually the rule is that you can also have that side available. Um, we just recently That's did. Really interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yep. It's the same, obviously, okay. with panties. But it is the same uh, legal jurisdiction in most areas. For instance, we just did a event. Um, a big show is our Gamer Girlfriend show here in Laguna Hills. Um, but because they have a restaurant license instead. And it's, you know, the the venue itself is a bar and restaurant. This was over at uh, Gamecraft. At Gamecraft. Gamecraft we love that place. Yeah. Yes, Shout here. out to them. They rock. Yeah, we'll actually be back there in January for nice. another Gamer show. They're having us back. Um, but for instance, for their licensing, we didn't do anything topless. We did keep it sensual and sexy and fun and lighthearted. Obviously, it was all, you know, role play characters and cosplay characters. And it was a really fun show. But we had no traditional burlesque reveals on the whole show because the licensing dictates. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Well, it's time for a little commercial, yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. 
any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. When it comes to a performance like that, specifically kind of the GameCraft one, you mentioned that there's like cosplay characters, but obviously, so basically, I get you don't have to be like, it's not full stripping to the point of like full kind of nudity and things like that. You mentioned the pasties, you mentioned things like that. I think that's kind of one of the myths that people who may not be familiar with burlesque, they assume that it's fancy stripping. Right. Absolutely. Like My that. goodness, we hear it all the time. I mean, what are some of the myths and, and kind of things that are false or kind of the misconceptions about burlesque that you could help kind of break up? Sure. So, um, you know, in my opinion, personally and professionally, a lot of times, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm a burlesque dancer, they think, like you said, you know, oh, you're a fancy stripper and um, nothing against, you know, strippers and sex workers, obviously, of course. Um, but burlesque is its own trained dance style, you know, and it is there is an art of burlesque and it is a trained skill that you have to learn and master, you know, or should learn and master before you become a professional at it. Um, you know, in that sense of things, I always, you know, recommend to tell people, well, I'm a professional dancer. Well, what styles? Because we do so much more than just burlesque. Yeah. How do, so before somebody can become a professional, what's the timeline to that? I mean, obviously this is a lifelong commitment. It's just like anything, you know, professional athlete or anything like that. This takes a lot of training and a lot of skill and a lot of time. What's the timeline like for somebody to maybe just start taking classes, express some interest? What's that kind of commitment level to get up to something where they could be performing? Sure. And that's actually a great question because we've just experienced this in the last season. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of professional dancers that are in my position that have danced their whole life, you know, had a lot of professional training, apprenticeship, you know, and um, certifications and are have worked their entire lives to be at this point. Then there's also, you know, the adult that maybe have always wanted to do it and never worked up the courage or, you know, found it fascinating but didn't think it was attainable or for whatever reason. Um, we have one of our dolls, our stiletto dolls, her name, her stage name is Lady Majesty. And I love to use her as a great example because she actually attended our very first showcase. It wasn't even a professional show. It was just a showcase for our studio, kind of recital, um, at a bar that I was uh, working at. And she was in the audience and she was like, oh my God, I love this. She actually won our raffle basket, which was for like a month of free classes. That's awesome. And I remember meeting her and she was like, I want to be on that stage next year. And I'm a very, you know, uplifting, I'd like to think person, anything's possible. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, come to class. And, um, she fell in love with it. I don't think she ever missed more than a day out of a week. She started dancing, you know, all 16 classes that we offer for the last year and now she's one of our top performing uh paid stiletto dolls and she really had done it done it in a year it's it's wild she did such a great job that seems like an insane timeline i mean is that the average i mean no i mean th th something tells me that that one comes with like an asterisk of just a lot of work and dedication absolutely work and dedication but um there's no reason 
you know, why it couldn't be normal. And I feel like, especially in this industry, something that I personally come across as a director is so many really talented dancers, regardless of their, you know, level of training or length of training. It's a self-doubt. Well, there's no way I could do that that fast, you know? And I'm like, well, you can, you know, but it will take hard work. It's not going to happen, you know, easily. But if that's really what you want, like, let's do it. You mentioned the body positivity aspect of it, which I think is something really kind of beautiful about it as, you know, kind of a... I guess a piece of art, if you want to call it that, uh, performance art, obviously, but talk about the body positivity and just kind of the confidence that a lot of your kind of people that you work with really achieve out of something like this. Oh yeah, definitely. So as far as a, on a personal level, while you're dancing, you know, learning to dance itself, it creates a lot of changes in your body naturally. You know, it's different than other forms of activity where you have to first set yourself up okay, I'm going to go to the gym. Okay, I have to work hard. Okay, I'm trying to change my body. With dance, a lot of times the focus is happiness or fun or sensuality. And with practice and execution of these movements, your body does change. It becomes stronger. It becomes leaner. Dance specifically kind of keeps the curves where they're supposed to be curvy and trims down where it's supposed to be naturally a little bit trimmer. And so you end end up with this, um, I like to call it the burlesque body. It's a fabulous shape, you know, and it's tailored per each individual and you've kind of earned it organically, not being stressed out about it, having fun, empowering yourself, you know, lifting your spirits and it ends up really boosting your self-esteem on all the sides, you know, both physically, mentally, everything is um, elevated. And, you know, we've also heard tons of feedback from our audience members at shows being like, wow, like seeing that, like that you guys gave me the confidence to wear this bathing suit or like try this thing or, you know, try that move at home. <laughs> you know, There's lots of different avenues, but it's so nice to see that, you know, everybody can dance. It just takes a little bit of effort. That's really, really awesome. I love hearing that. Um, I mean, you can't talk about something like burlesque without talking about the sexual nature of it because there is a very sensual side to it. There is sex appeal. There is that. How do you balance that in your shows to keep kind of the beauty of it and the class kind of elevated, especially when you're putting together a show like that at a venue, how do you go about kind of measuring that? So personally, um, I like to see the difference as burlesque is in the industry of entertainment and not in the industry of pleasure. So for me, that's a very fine line to walk, but I believe every step must be intentional in the way that you're promoting your dancers, you're promoting your show, even your costuming, you know, that even the topless portions of it, I think everything has to be very tied in. So when we typically do the reveals, um, you know, it's more, it's at the end, it's artistically done. There's a tease involved and it's like, bam, you know, there it is. It's not the focus and it's also not expected in every number, whereas, you know, certain troops also do that. But for me personally, I feel like it loses the appeal if you know it's coming. That's fair. Yeah. It's like knowing the end of the movie before you see it. Got it. That's fun. Um, when it comes to working with different venues, you kind of mentioned that you know, there are some there are some legal lines that you have to tiptoe around that other, you know, live music, things like that, stand up comedy, they don't have to. What are some of the balancing acts you have to do to making sure like all the boxes are checked before you're able to put on a performance working with different venues? So the first thing is zoning. Um, Some cities are zoned for live performances like that. Other cities and counties are not. So for instance, Long Beach um, is zoned for burlesque. So most places in Long Beach, as long as they serve alcohol, in my experience so far, are you're able to have a burlesque show. Um, Orange County, not so much. It's more like a performance. 
uh, less burlesque based, but you can still have live entertainment. We also have singers, acrobats, aerialists, and a lot of other types of performers as well. So luckily we can still explore a lot of different really cool venues pretty much in any area because of our, um, what's the word I'm looking for? variance in acts that we offer but yeah so it, the zoning is one thing another thing too is uh we highly suggest being a actual accredited licensed company because then you can provide your own insurance which is almost always you know required obviously um insurance for the venue insurance for your dancers you know contracts and everything have to be in order just like any other professional booking it just doesn't seem so businessy because it seems like all the fun I mean, from the from the standpoint of somebody who has a venue who might be looking to bring in a live performance such as yours, restaurant people in general are kind of hospitality. Obviously, the less things that can go wrong is the better. So it would kind of make sense that, oh, you know, maybe that's a lot of things to worry about. I don't know if I want to do that. It seems like a lot of work. What would be your pitch to somebody who has an establishment on why they should look into bringing in a performance group such as yours? So... We are a very turnkey group, um, which I always suggest looking for. If you're just looking to hire the performer itself, a lot of times you will end up having to do a lot of the legwork as a venue. If you can hire a professional company that has a stage manager and an admin and a promo team, we ultimately would come equipped with all of your media prepared for you already. Um, you know, we come to the location, we would do some promotional items for you already. We would tailor everything. And ultimately, you just have to show up and unlock the door for us. And everything is hands off. How big, uh, well, I guess not how big, but how, how long is the show start to finish? I mean, how many performances, things like that? And then just outside of that, you mentioned it's about three weeks, give or take, to kind of get a performance up and running. But what about the choreography? How do you put the pieces together? So as far as the choreography goes, I kind of run with it and see where the wind takes me. My Spotify list is out of control because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your spot. I know we're recording this December 1st, depending on when people are listening, your Spotify rap must just be nuts. <laughs> oh, it was like over 120,000 minutes listened and all of these things. And my artists are all over the place. And plus I'm a mom as well. So you have all this really, you know, adult music and sensual things. And then you have like nursery rhymes thrown in there. So that's always a fun mix. <laughs> I love that. So putting together the choreography, you just kind of let it run with it. But when you put together a show, you know, you mentioned that your troupe, obviously you have a handful of dancers. Does everybody perform? Do only certain people perform? Is it kind of like a tryout process? How does the number of acts come together? So usually in a traditional booking, you want to think the event is about two and a half hours. Two acts like theater with a small intermission in between. Granted, of course, there are going to be certain bookings where they maybe want ongoing entertainment throughout the night or just a small set here and there. But usually our shows are about a two hour runtime with a small break in the middle. Um, and then depending on, again, what the event is looking for, it kind of tailors how we build the show. So sometimes we have a comedian as a host. Other times we have a magician, um, you know, a vocalist and kind of lead the show in a certain specific way. But as far as acts go, we usually like to stay between 20 and 25 acts per show. Um, depending on length, obviously, and audience participation, which is always really fun as well. So you think about it kind of like a recipe. So like for me personally, we always want to showcase a couple soloists, a few duets, some trios, and a couple large groups. So depending on, you know, like I said, the creative juices flowing of to see, you know, where the biggest impact's going to be, how are we going to mix this in with our specialty performers and try to find the right balance. You know, it's like baking. Yeah. How quickly... Well, we kind of mentioned how quickly the shows come together, but how far ahead do you book out for these performances? 
So we are always accepting bookings currently, but it has to be open in our schedule. But we also have bookings into 2024 that we've already wow. been booked for. That's Yeah, crazy. We, have, <laughs> we have full roster. I mean, we're making it sound like it's very difficult to put these shows on. And yes, there's a lot that does go into it. I mean, this is a big performance, but to be booked out that far, that's wild. I mean, especially when you're saying that you're not doing repeat acts. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, that's really obstinate to just be like, nope, it's going to be new every single time. You know, it's um, definitely going to change the industry is my goal. There's a lot of um, stigma with burlesque and dance in general. It's like you build this solo traditionally and then you use it for years. The same costume, the same music, the same show. There's a lot of companies that do the same show over and over and over again. Yeah. And for me personally, as a director and as a dancer, I don't want to paint the same picture twice. A painter doesn't want to do that. Why is it okay for dance? That's completely fair. Yeah. To me, like I said, it's not a very popular opinion, but, um, and honestly we have faced, uh, some backlash because it is so different, a different method of, uh, creating and yeah. operating in this industry today. But I, I genuinely believe that it is worth it. And I feel like we're giving a better product to our audience because they know every time they're the only people in the whole world that are going to see that show one time. That's actually pretty awesome. I like that. Um, kind of moving forward with things now that obviously, you know, we're getting close to 2023 at this point, which is wild to think that 2020 feels like it was just behind us and all the wildness that went with that. Live performances and performances like yours have come back in a huge way, especially this past year. Where do you kind of see the future of it going? Not just live performances, but for your industry as well. For the industry, honestly, I'm hoping that it becomes more celebrated. Um, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for growth and for value to raise in this in this industry specific. It uh, saddens me that there's so many burlesque companies, you know, doing free shows, which of course is fabulous, you know, in its own aspect. But most burlesque dancers are unpaid or they're working for tips. And um, while, of course, I know that's part of the industry, I would love for the industry to shift into hiring contracted dancers, you know, with uh, official and accredited training and then paying them as such, you know, and, and really seeing a higher value in the artistry of what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, anybody working for anything creatively or artistically or performance wise should absolutely be getting paid. I 100 percent agree with that. Uh, what are some of the other stigmas as we kind of wind down this main episode stigmas or we kind of talked about those preconceived notions about burlesque and performances like this that you'd also like to see change. You know, I think so much of it has to do with ego as well um, on a personal level that I would want for my fellow burlesque dancers to work on in my own industry. You know, I feel like everybody has room for improvement, but I would say in this industry specific, it's um, I would love to see more emphasis on training and less on ego. Uh, believe that confidence is a very important part of performing and performance art. But so many things that we encounter, luckily not within our own company too much, but in our industry is, oh, well, I'm a professional, so I don't need to train anymore. Or, you know, kind of the afraidness to put yourself back out there and be uncomfortable because maybe you haven't been outside your own box, you know. And I would love to see more growth and courage in our industry to try something new. You know, even if you're a burlesque dancer, go take a hip hop class, just try it. You know, maybe there's something that will ignite in you and you can bring a little something back to your table and, you know, not feel uncomfortable doing so. Think out of, thinking out of the box. 
What are some of the venues that you do uh, performances at for people in the area? I mean, obviously they'll be able to look at the website and see upcoming shows and things like that. But what are, I mean, do you go, do you have repeat venues? I mean, it's obviously a new show all the time, but are there certain clients that you do work with and places that do have you back a lot? I mean, we mentioned Gamecraft, obviously, but we talked about Long Beach, Los Angeles. What are some of the other spots that you guys perform at? So every three months or so, we are at Harvell's in Long Beach, which is an amazing, very iconic underground burlesque yeah, club. Yeah, that place is great. Amazing. We're actually going to be there on New Year's Eve. We have a phenomenal show planned. We were booked there for Harvell's for that's New Year's awesome. Eve night. Yes, so if you need any tickets, let me know. Um, but that's going to be one of our repeat uh, venues that that hosts us. We love performing there. The staff is just wonderful to work with. But, you know, in our industry specific, Harvell's is if not, the place is an icon. Yeah, it's, yeah, it it's really such is an, an honor. It's such an honor to perform there, and um, we've always had such wonderful turnout. And you know, we're very grateful to be asked back so often there. Um, another place that we frequent is Kesara in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. We love Kesara. It is a really fun vintage uh, bar lounge. Definitely more on the intimate casual side. So we do a lot of things there. For instance, our Christmas parties there on Saturday. We hired a live band. We have some burlesque dancing. It's really fun, but definitely more intimate family style, you know, less um, stature to it but still very, very fun. And we like to explore different types of events. You know, we're going to have a pole showcase there. We're going to have, uh, sometimes we do bands and burlesque there. Other times we'll do full burlesque shows and we just love working there too. That's awesome. I wanted to, I'm actually glad you mentioned kind of pole dancing as well, because I think that that gets very much associated with kind of traditional stripping that people think of, but there's pole fitness classes. I mean, all of Orange County. I mean, when I first moved to Orange County, I saw one. I think there was one. We're recording this in Aliso Viejo, and I think there was one here in like Aliso Town Center. Is that also part of burlesque? I mean, because you you kind of mentioned props and things that can go into a show. Pole kind of fitness in general is that also something that you guys work with? So we do work with pole um, pole dancers and pole artists, pole acrobats. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different genres that people will want to put themselves into yeah. and categorize themselves, I think, for their own stigma, um, which again, all are fine. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of how you'd like to be perceived. As far as it going into the burlesque category, it really does not belong. Um, okay. We do work with pole, uh, pole dancers. We have some contracted pole dancers. I think it's super fun and fabulous. We also offer pole classes at our studio. I mean, obviously it's got to be a hell of a workout. Oh, so. it absolutely is. Um, you know, but in the burlesque specific, it is more the traditional props that you would think of, Um, though we do incorporate pull into our shows, but it would be more as a specialty act. Uh, One of the kind of last things I want to ask about, you mentioned costuming. Obviously, people have been having wild issues with getting things, whether it's furniture for the home or supplies for restaurants or things like that. Are you guys having any difficulty getting costumes and getting props and getting anything like that for your show? Or has your industry relatively kind of been unaffected? You know, we've been pretty okay. Our prices have gone up a little bit. Um, I'm very fortunate to work with a costume um, wholesaler that I've worked with for almost two decades now. (laughs) So I have a very good working relationship with them. And they have always been very helpful to me when I'm looking for something specific. I'm very grateful for them. Um, On the flip side of that, you know, a lot of it's teamwork. And I personally, I alter all the costumes for the company and, you know, embellish and we all, you know, we have stoning parties and we rhinestone and, you know, teamwork and it's really I'm fun, glad honestly. You elaborated on that because stoning parties that needed an explanation. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, rhinestoning, rhinestoning. <laughs> um, as we kind of wind down this main episode, and again, I'm going to keep you around for a bonus episode as well that people can find over on Patreon. I want to ask your 
times are tough right now economically. The word recession is getting thrown around a lot. Inflation is obviously a big deal. People are being more protective of their money, as they should, and obviously rightfully so. What would your pitch be to someone who hasn't been to a performance like yours before on why they should come experience it? You know, I really believe in treating yourself and, um, you know, our, our shows range in price, you know, some of them are more casual and some of them are, are fancier. Um, but you know, it's a lasting memory and it is an experience. And also our stiletto fam, as we call it, our stiletto community, which, which is comprised of our dancers, our staff, our audience, you know, friends of the audience. It really is such a welcoming crowd and place. And I have, yet to find somebody who joins us for an event, whether it be a class or show that doesn't consistently stay a part of that stiletto fam and it really does impact their life. That's really awesome. Um, well, like I said, I want to keep you around for a bonus episode. People can check that out on patreon.com slash the best seats. But I just want to thank you for the time. It's so cool what you're doing. I love, again, this is a hospitality podcast, but hospitality is about entertaining people and making them feel good and treating people in live performances are a major part of that in this industry and especially what you're doing in burlesque. I just, I absolutely love it. So thank you for taking the time and people should definitely, definitely check out one of your performances. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure so far and I'm excited for our little bonus episode here. And um, just in close for anybody listening, if you guys ever want to check out one of our shows, we'd be happy to comp some tickets for you. Um, just use the code best seats. B-E-S-T-C-E-A-T-S um, at checkout and we'll go ahead and take care of that for you. And then obviously just to wrap, if people do want to learn more, if they want to learn about shows, follow on social media, things like that, where can people do that at? Our website will have everything always up to date. It is stilettosandstriptease.com, all spelled out. And um, on Instagram as well, we usually link the two and that would be stilettos underscore and underscore striptease. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to Alexa for taking the time and really peeling back um, all the layers on kind of burlesque and live entertainment and what it means to go into that and why it's such a really cool thing for people to go out and experience. Um, again, if you're listening to this before the new year, they are doing a massive New Year's Eve show that tickets are still available for. We may be running a Patreon special for those if people are interested. I don't know yet. We're finalizing details at the time of this recording still, but keep an eye out over on Patreon because there may be tickets for that. Thank you to all the advertisers and thank you to everybody who does support on Patreon. You have made this show what it is for the since its beginning, but obviously this has been a great year for the show and it's only going to get better. Thank you to everybody that supports, whether you're on Patreon or free fees all of you do make it possible make sure to go check out the merchandise uh, store if you haven't already on the bestseats.com there's going to be a lot more content coming the new year is coming soon and with it comes new things and it's only going to get better people so make sure to have fun out there tippy bartenders go see a burlesque show have some fun trust me it's a good time i'll see you soon take care the best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats it is written edited produced and owned by myself Crawford mccarthy founder and principal of the best seats it's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support. <laughs>